0: Welcome to Talking Um uh, Jimmy Stewart, the podcast where we talk to those who knew or worked with actor Jimmy Stewart or who have been influenced or inspired by his legacy. I'm Tim Vanderberg and today's guests fall in the inspired by category as their interest in Mr. Stewart has led them to discover a tremendous amount of information about something you may not know existed, Jimmy's extensive radio and recording career. Over the years, Jimmy lent his talents to radio recreations of movies, appeared in popular comedy, drama, and variety programs of the day, starred in his own radio western series known as The Six Shooter, and much, much more. You can learn all about this work in the book Jimmy Stewart on the Air, written by today's guests, Charles and Erna Reinhardt. I had the privilege of meeting Charles and Erna at last year's Harvey Award presentation in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Later, I got together with them over Skype, where we talked about much of Jimmy's recording work, which you can hear at their companion blog, jimmystuartontheair.com. Here is our conversation. Enjoy. Charles and Erna Reinhart, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, you're welcome. Would you call this a labor of love? Oh, I
1: think so. <laughs> well, tell me how this project got started. Okay, well, actually, uh, Erna is the big Jimmy Stewart fan. And we started going up to the museum the first year it opened. And uh, I was just kind of along for the ride, really. Uh, But then one day she started talking about uh, the six-shooter. And I had no idea what the six-shooter was. And she told me it was a radio show that Jimmy had done. So uh, I looked it up online, found some copies, and started listening to it. And uh, I thought to myself, you know, I, I wonder what else he did on the radio. I wonder if there's enough here to to do something with. So I started uh, doing a little bit of research, and within a pretty short period of time, I had found well over 100 shows that he did. So I intensified the research considerably, and I eventually wound up with about 400 shows that he had had appeared on. So I uh, sat down and started writing up Six Shooter, and After I got that finished, I I said to my wife, I said, you know what? I said, we're going to write a book. And she said, about what? And I said, well, Jimmy Stewart's radio career. And she said, well, there's not nearly enough there to get a book. And I said, well, I've only done the six shooter and I already have about 125 pages. So she was pretty amazed at that. And uh, that kind of got us started. Uh, We just. Went ahead full steam at that point. So you were both surprised that he was that prolific on the radio? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're we're a little too young to have caught much of the the radio era. Uh, I probably was listening to the radio at the time the Six Shooter was on the air, but I don't remember ever listening to it at the time.
0: All right, so let's talk about the Six Shooter for a minute. So that came along really at the end of radio's heyday. Oh, yeah. And it was a successful program, but probably not as
1: big as it could have been because of that. TV had won out. Right. And um, Jimmy kind of gave the show up, too. Uh, The story is that the second year was going to be picked up by a cigarette company as a sponsor. And uh, he didn't really want that, and that was the end of the the show. That did move over to TV, but he didn't go with it. It, He used a different actor. And uh, they actually used some of the same scripts and adapted them for TV. They did. They used a lot of the same scripts. And that's where most of the titles came from, because uh, during the radio series, I think there were only maybe four or five shows where they actually said a title during the show. So everybody was just kind of guessing at what these titles were. But when they redid them on TV, they put titles with them. So those uh, kind of switched back to radio then, too.
0: Let's get an understanding of how do you even go about finding all of the content, because this isn't well-documented. What's been your best source
1: for finding these recordings? Um, Well, several sources. Uh, Of course, the most common ones are online. Uh, The uh, Paley Museum in New York City has quite a few radio shows, and uh, we made several trips up there, Uh, once they knew we were writing a book, they gave us a little extra time because usually you're only allowed two hours in their listening room and then you got to get out. Uh, But once they found out what we were doing, we got a little more time in there. So I um, uh, we did manage to listen to several shows that just are not available anyplace else. The other big source is the Library of Congress. Uh, NBC, uh, their entire collection is at the Library of Congress and Of course, the six-shooter was on NBC, and a lot of the other shows that he did uh, were on NBC. So a lot of the shows that aren't commonly available, uh, you could find there at the Library of Congress pretty easily. There also is a website that is run by the tobacco companies. Hmm. They kept meticulous records of everything they did on the radio. If they sponsored a radio show, chances are the script is on their website. So you can go there and find scripts. I like, for instance, the uh, Dean Martin Jerry Lewis show that uh, Mr. Stewart appeared on. Uh, For some reason or other, that's not available in audio. You just can't find it anywhere. But the the, uh, script is on this tobacco website, so you can go and read and see exactly what happened. So those are probably the best sources we've found.
0: Yeah, okay, so the tobacco companies were just really well-run organizations. They just
1: documented everything. They documented everything, and I do mean everything. I mean, if if somebody said, well, I would never smoke such and such, it's in that file. They, they oh, yeah. have records of everything.
0: All right, so I, I believe you had told me when we met previously that a good resource was newspaper clippings.
1: Yeah, um, there are a couple of newspaper sites, again, online. Um where you can go and search for various things. And I, I search basically for Jimmy Stewart or James Stewart or radio or whatever. And uh, you usually get a little thumbnail of what is available. And you can tell pretty quickly if it's a radio listing because you'll see NBC, CBS, ABC, all kinds of other little clues that it's a, a radio listing and not a film. And uh, we ran across quite a few uh, radio shows that he had appeared on that we probably wouldn't have found otherwise. And the Indiana Gazette, uh, his hometown newspaper, they, uh, again, it was almost like a daily thing. They kept you informed on what he was doing. So you always knew if he was going to be on a radio show, if he was going to be in a new play, if he was filming a movie, uh, exactly what town he was in, if he was coming home for a visit, Uh, everything is, pretty well documented in that paper. So, uh, yeah, we did find a lot of uh, radio shows that way. Now, unfortunately, most of the radio shows don't exist, but at least we know that they were uh, aired at one point in time.
0: Well, and as you found, some things just slowly turn up.
1: What were you most surprised to find? Oh, my, I think there were a couple of things. Um, He was on the uh, U.S. Steel Hour, which was broadcast out of Pittsburgh, several times. Theater Guild on the Air is its other name. And um, most of those shows, again, for whatever reason, don't exist uh, anymore. And one of the shows he had done was O'Halloran's Luck. And uh, every source I could find said that it was not available, didn't exist. Don't even bother trying to look for it. Well, I won a Jimmy Stewart item, and I don't even remember what it was anymore, on eBay. And it was from a gentleman in Australia and I happened to mention to him that I was working on a book of Jimmy Stewart's radio career. And he wrote back and he said, I have uh, I have a record that you might be interested in. He said, it's uh, uh, an armed forces radio show uh, called O'Hawran's Luck. And I said, yeah, I'm very interested in it. Uh, he was not willing to sell it, but he did make me a CD copy and send it to me. And it was very interesting listening to it because uh, Jimmy, who I believe is about six foot three was playing the part of a leprechaun Mm -hmm. in this show. So it's uh, it's kind of amusing because I mean, you have a picture of him in your mind and you're hearing this squeaky little voice of a leprechaun coming out. So that, that was a a pretty good find. Uh, There was another show, a community chest uh, show that he was on. And, Again, I'm not sure if a lot of people are aware or not, but back back in those days, uh, there wasn't uh, tape. You didn't have reel-to-reel tapes or anything like that. Right. But radio stations and a lot of people who were really into collecting things had uh, players that would record record players. You could take a blank disc and you could record on it. So radio stations would record shows for playback later. And people at home, if they had the money to do it, uh, may have these uh, players that they could they could actually tape a show. And someone taped this community chest show that Jimmy was on. And uh, unfortunately, it, it was a four-sided disc, uh, two discs both sides, uh, and only one of the discs still existed. And um, I managed to get a, a good copy of that, and it... it has the uh, first part of the show and the very ending of the show. And uh, the first part is where Mr. Stewart was uh, on the show, and he just basically just introduced the show. And um, so we, we have that, and that that's another thing that was, you know, we never expected to find anything like that. Oh wow, that's great.
0: Okay, so I, I should mention here, you have a blog. It's called Jimmy Stewart on the Air. And it's uh, basically a great companion piece to the book that you've written. You're updating it regularly, posting audio. It's become a real treasure trove for fans.
1: Well, I noticed, uh, yeah, some of the comments <laughs> that that you're getting and that and, and I've gotten uh, are are all good. Um the book got to be too large. So all the newspaper clippings and photos and audio which of course wouldn't have been in the book in the first place but all of that had to be had to be cut out including a, a whole chapter on his uh, recording career because he also recorded on records and tape and all that so none of that appeared in the book and i just finally got said to myself you know you're going to have to learn how to do a blog and uh, get some of this information out there because i was the only one that was enjoying it. and of course arna was but um Nobody else was getting to hear it. We would take some things up to the museum, and uh, occasionally they did get a chance to use a few of them. They have some CDs out that people can listen to when they're uh, going through the museum. But the vast majority just was sitting in my computer and in boxes of records here at home, and uh, this was just a way of getting it out there. A big
0: thanks from all of Jimmy's fans, because that is the only way we would be aware of a lot
1: of this and it's it's a lot of fun to find. Well I have a lot of fun doing it I, I uh, I've been averaging writing about two or three blogs a day yes yeah. <laughs> and I put uh, I've been putting one up every other day and I may go to every day here shortly. I, I think I'm probably going to wind up with about 400 blog entries altogether Wow that's amazing. Take quite a while. Yeah. yeah, we look forward
0: to it. You know, something that fascinated me was the concept of the open-end interview. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could explain how that worked.
1: Okay. Um, normally, uh, what they would do to um, uh, help promote films would be interview the stars. And sometimes uh, there'd actually be an interviewer who uh, would appear on one side of the record. And so you'd hear the entire thing. You'd hear this fellow asking questions and Mr. Stewart or whoever answering the questions. But then usually on the other side of the record, they would put an open-end interview. In other words, they would cut out the interviewer altogether, and all you had were the answers. And then normally they would send a script along so that the uh, local disc jockey could read the questions and play the appropriate answer. And uh, nobody would actually have any idea... That, you know, Mr. Stewart wasn't sitting there right beside the local DJ. Yeah, so this is very
0: common back in that day. Uh, yeah. To me, it just really showed a professionalism, a, a different side of Jimmy that you just hadn't seen before. All right, I'm going to play the part of the announcer, and we can get a, a good idea of how this worked. Here we go. All right. Jimmy, how do you feel about working out on location as compared with the confines of a Hollywood studio?
1: Well, the convenience of the Hollywood studio is, makes much better. It makes much more. It makes for much more efficiency in making uh, the picture. It's pretty. It's pretty hard to tell uh, what the pluses are. Whether the uh, the advantage that you get from photographing uh, something in the actual location is enough to make up for the uh, real efficiency that you get of shooting on a sound stage.
0: Okay, so from that I was just struck by how professional he sounds. He he just gets it. He he makes it very folksy and uh sounds like he's genuinely there and sitting across the table
1: from you. Oh yeah. Um and you know, the the disc jockey could just throw in some mhm. Oh yeah. And <laughs> it would sound just like it was uh just like it was happening at that moment. Okay, so you were excited about one
0: thing you found, it was a sales promo record for the Saturday evening post. Uh, yeah. Tell me how how that went down because your excitement turned to disappointment,
1: and uh, I'd love to hear how that happened. Well, it um, it showed up on eBay about a year ago. Actually, it was the end of last summer. Uh, it was a forty five rpm record uh, promoting his uh, interview in the Saturday Evening Post. And of course that was a four-part interview and we had the whole thing. So we knew all about it. I thought, boy, this is going to be great. Here's an interview. We didn't even know existed. So I bid on it and won it, uh, actually pretty easily because nobody else bid on it. I don't know if they knew what it was and I was the only one that didn't or what, but it came in the mail and boy, I couldn't get it out of the package quick enough, put it on the turntable and started to, to play it. And the author of the, um, the articles came on first, and he's explaining a few things. And then he said, uh, well, let's turn it over to Jimmy. And this voice came on, and it was the worst <laughs> imitation of Jimmy Stewart that you would ever want to hear. All right, we have some I mean, of that. It's let's, obvious. Yeah, let's, let's okay. give a listen.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think you've described it very well, and, and listeners will agree. All right, here we go. This is Pete Martin. I'm here in my office at Independence Square. I know you all know where that is. Over the years, you've read quite a number of my articles about celebrities and show business, various people I've called on. But most recently, I called on Jimmy Stewart out in Hollywood. And the five-part article I helped Jimmy write begins in the February 11th issue of the Saturday Evening Post. Here's the way it starts. On my next birthday,
2: May 20th, I'll be 53 old. So far, I've made about 60 movies. When you've made that many movies and have lived that long and been through a war and been nominated
1: for an Oscar five times one win four misses you. You have a lot to remember.
0: <laughs> so what we weren't aware of was that snuffleupagus had a radio career before he was on sesame street <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that that may be the worst Jimmy I, I, I will, it definitely i i will give him credit though he did at the end say that of course that was not jimmy stewart but someone imitating him and yeah it's still it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to to have but uh i'm glad i didn't pay a lot of money for it
0: yeah All right, something else that these recordings revealed was Jimmy was able to appear with celebrities that he didn't
1: act with on screen. What examples jump out to you? Well, he did a lot of Boy Scout material, obviously. And um, I know on those Boy Scout shows, uh, he was on with uh, Roy Rogers, Dale Evans, um, people that, even though he was making Westerns, uh, Roy's career was pretty much over, I guess, by the time Jimmy started making Westerns, so they never got to work together.
0: We have a great example of that, and I wanted to share that. We have Jimmy with Roy Rogers, so two of the biggest icons of their time, together on the air, and then an unexpected performer as well. Let's give a listen. That was wonderful,
1: It sure was. Sure was, Roy. But say now, who are we going to get to run our rodeo? Ordner, your tea rubbles are over, because here comes the rootinest, tootinest, shootinest cowhand that ever slapped letter.
2: Whoa! Whoa! Oh, come on, horse boy!
1: If you don't stop, you're going to wind up on the back of a three-cent
0: stamp. Howdy, folks. I've been listening to your program, and I hear that you're looking for a real cow puncher. Are you a real cow puncher? Well, I used to be, but
1: I give up punching cows. Why? One of them punched back. <laughs> well, now <laughs> gone if it isn't old dead, I eh? Red
0: Skilt. yeah that's right. <laughs> All right, a real delight for listeners and the Scouts involved. that's pretty exciting. yeah, he he did quite
1: a few of those shows uh, there's There's actually only one that's readily available you can find online, but uh, two of the other ones are at the uh, Library of Congress and we did get to listen to them and they're they're really uh, really entertaining. What's your favorite find so far? My favorite find. <laughs> oh, I think I probably already mentioned it, the O'Howern's Luck. Yeah. That I mean, that that just, I, I was just so happy to find a copy of that. Uh, I keep waiting. I, I don't know what the fellow's name was anymore, and I keep waiting someday. I think maybe I'll get an email from him and say, hey, I decided to sell this, and I can actually get a hold of the discs. But uh, that that's probably been... The find that I've appreciated uh, the most.
0: In the intro to the book, Kelly Stewart Harcourt mentions that she was unaware that her father had ever played a leprechaun. So it's amazing that through your work, you're able to find things the family wasn't even aware of. Well, yeah,
1: both Judy and Kelly have uh, commented lots <laughs> yeah. about what's in there. And then uh, I've sent them both copies of various shows that they wanted to hear and uh, yeah, they, they just were amazed at what's, what was there because they had no idea. They knew he would go out the door in the morning and say he was going to do a radio show, but they had no idea exactly what that meant. Okay, so my personal favorite was a recording
0: called Day After Day, part of the theatrical production that Princeton
1: had put on and I'm going to let you talk about that a little bit. Well, the, the actual song we had long before we knew it was on a record. Uh, the song is out there on lots of different CDs and, and uh, albums. But I found out that eventually that it was actually uh, recorded on a 78 RPM. And we started looking for copies and eventually found a, a pretty good copy of it. Uh, It was what was called a personal record. The uh, Triangle Club group went to New York City and Columbia Studios and recorded this song. And uh, I don't know, and I don't think anybody knows exactly how many 78s were pressed, but it certainly wasn't a large number of them. And uh, we we did manage to get a copy of that, and that for a long time, that was probably the most precious thing in the uh, collection. Uh, But some other things have kind of replaced it now, but um, Jimmy actually got to sing. You know, it's it's an old-style 78 RPM, lots of uh, orchestra in the beginning, and then eventually in comes a voice, and it's Jimmy Stewart. We not only found a copy of the record, we actually found a copy of a test pressing of the record at one point. That's uh, The record companies will make a copy or two and uh, just have people listen to it to make sure there's no skips, no excess noise or anything in it before they actually press uh, the record. Usually the label, if anything's on the label. It's just handwritten, and that's that's the case with this copy. It's just handwritten on what it is. So um, it's it's very interesting. It's one of two uh, records, actually, that Jimmy sang on while he was at Princeton. But this is by far the, the more common of the two.
0: Yeah, oh, it's a lot of fun. So... You get an understanding from listening to this. He he got a taste of what it would be like to be a professional uh, in his early days at Princeton, and he got to go to New York and actually record this.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but the uh, when they did a play at Princeton, they went out on the road with it. Uh, yeah. They performed in other cities, and so, you know, he, he actually, this was almost like, a paying job at at uh, the time. You got a lot of experience. Oh, that's amazing.
0: All right, so this is available. We can listen to it at JimmyStewartOnTheAir dot com. Let's uh, let's give a listen now. he has a beautiful voice it's no wonder he stood out
1: yeah he uh he didn't sound bad on that at all and he did get to sing in a few of his films too so uh somebody liked the voice I understand he didn't ever really like the voice. He went back and watched
0: uh, Born to Dance, I believe, and he he felt funny about it.
1: Yeah, I've, I've read that too, yeah.
0: I understand that all of those players back then, they were needed to do everything. Act, sing, dance. Yeah, especially in that film, Born to Dance, yeah. All right, thank you so much for joining us. One thing that uh, strikes me as just completely unexpected is the emergence of digital media and how all of these recordings have the potential to reach a wider audience than they ever had before. You can listen to a favorite movie while driving to work. You can have a more manageable commute with Jimmy Stewart along the way. Uh, You have Jimmy recording versions of movies that he was in a lot of those were recorded multiple times. Uh, what have you discovered about that?
1: Well, yeah, you, you would uh, guess the, the obvious one is uh, It's a Wonderful Life. I think that was done five or six times uh, over the course of the years, and amazingly enough, most of them don't exist. Um, nobody kept the original discs, uh, or if they do, they're in private collectors' hands and they're not letting them out. But uh, yeah, he did an awful lot of his films. Uh, he did some other people's films too. Uh, occasionally, especially on Lux Theater, somebody would get sick and he'd fill in at the last minute. Or same thing happened to him. Yeah, When Broken Arrow was on Lux Radio, he got sick at the last minute and uh, somebody had to step in for him. So it, it happened all the time in radio and they, they usually knew who they could go to, who would come in and do a good job uh, at the last minute like that. And he was one of the... The go-to people apparently.
0: Okay. So a lot of this stuff was done just because he wanted to like supporting the boy Scouts. That was just something he had a, an interest in, but a good majority of this was because he was under contract with MGM, correct?
1: Uh, especially in the beginning. Yes. Uh, his contract with MGM specified that, uh, he would appear on whatever radio shows they deemed necessary for him to appear on. And, um, uh, Technically, I've seen some of those contracts. Technically, he didn't get paid for doing the radio shows, but most of them say that he would receive, uh, it's usually a $1,500 bonus after it aired. And, uh, you know, they would go to great pains to say you should no way construe this as being paid for doing this show. It is just a bonus. (laughs) So, So MGM was covering themselves. Yeah, well, and a bonus I bet he was glad to get. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. $1,500 doesn't sound like a lot today, but in 1935, it was a considerable sum.
0: Yeah,
1: oh, absolutely. Charles, thank you so much
0: for speaking with me today. And again, it's a lot of fun. And I just want to thank you on behalf of Jimmy's fans and new fans of his radio work.
1: Well, I'm I'm, I'm always amazed at the people who don't know that he actually was on the radio. So if we can uh, educate even one person, I guess it's worth it. Okay, I wanted you to be able to hear from co-author Erna
0: Reinhardt as well. Here's a brief word from her. I understand one of the biggest pleasures you have is to be able to introduce some of this work to Jimmy's family that they weren't previously aware of.
2: Yes, yes indeed. Uh, for me, that's, um, that's one of the, the, um, the rewards um, for taking the time and effort to put this uh, together. Uh, talking with uh, with his daughters, his twin twin daughters, uh, Kelly uh, did the introduction to the book and um, her comment her one one comment was she was she didn't know about the uh, holleran's luck for one thing yeah and uh, you know she just enjoyed you know, hearing, uh, we made some, uh, CDs for her so that she could actually, you know, sit in and hear her dad. And, um, their, their family was one of the reasons why I think I just, you know, felt something special with, with Jimmy Stewart, other than, you know, a lot of the others of that era, especially, you know, they, they had such a, a home together. Uh, you know, the sons, the daughters, you know, and his wife and, uh, the, the girls are really enjoying uh, learning more about their dad, you know, li- uh, listening. They, they had no idea that he had this much uh, radio work. Uh, you know, they just knew the movies and watched the movies and, you know, oh, it's a wonderful life and loved your dad and all that. But uh, this was something different for them. And they, they would share so many uh, stories with with us with the fans, and they do come to Indiana and um, they do enjoy and and um, uh, at the at the banquet it I was it was such a a treat for me when they were showing uh, clips of Jim uh, uh, Caviezel that I watched Judy and uh, the tears you know would just be there. She just kept wiping her her tears, and she had commented how much she loves to come to Indiana to the museum. Uh, it's like coming the first time because, uh, you know, they, they, they do rotate uh, memorabilia and, you know, she sees new things all the time and, and she just loves it and she loves the feel of the town. And uh, I, I think by writing the book and, and uh, you know, sharing with them, it, um, it was a real thrill, a real real pleasure, uh, you know, a task of, of love uh, to share with, with his daughters.
0: It does have to be a thrill for you to introduce some of this stuff to them for the first time and then to see their genuine appreciation for it
2: definitely yes yes i I just have that special feeling of their family that I can relate to my to my family you know to my grandfather to my dad and uh, I see it and I see it you know with the girls with the daughters and I feel good about that Thank you to Charles
0: and Erna Reinhardt. The book is Jimmy Stewart on the Air, which you can find at baremannermedia.com, jimmy.org, and amazon.com. The companion blog is jimmystewartontheair.com. You'll definitely want to check it out. Thank you for listening to Talking, um, uh, Jimmy Stewart. If you found us on iTunes, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a review. It will help us get the word out, and it's always great to hear from Jimmy fans. And of course, thanks to the Jimmy Stewart Museum in Indiana, Pennsylvania for helping make this podcast possible. Be sure to visit at jimmy.org, and better yet, go visit the museum. See you soon.